Hey guys, Jim Cox, FFG Advisors, Park Avenue Securities, and I'm here today with a podcast with Todd Manley. He is the CEO of a company called, uh, well, he has a brand called Mutiny Island Vodka, and has a bit of a different story and one that really kind of changes the picture in terms of sustainability. And so I wanted to kind of learn more about uh, the work that he's doing and share that with you guys. So, uh, Todd, thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate being here and the opportunity. Awesome. So we had connected uh, around a a conversation that I I had with another uh, another friend, Mike Strait, and he had mentioned some of the work that you were doing around a different type of material to make your vodka. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, actually, before that, what's your background? Like, how did you get into making vodka or, you know, working in the food space? Well, I suppose um, I started out uh, being a musician, very young, and um, that doesn't always pay the bills. So I ended up uh, being a chef, which allows me to use creativity and whatnot. So I, I would say I'm a chef first and foremost. And, you know, working with ingredients, coming up with new things is, is part of the fun of being a chef. And as a chef, it's always been, you know, what can you get local? What can you buy local? How can you support the local farmers for a better food, better health, and all that type of stuff that goes along with being a a professional chef, and on this island of St. Croix, which I absolutely love, I fell in love with this place, um, they've had some, between hurricanes and, and refineries closing and things like that, there's been some economic instability that I guess may be associated with many islands, and so I, I was thinking of something, you know, what can I do to, to bring this this uh, island up a little bit or create some opportunity? And at first, it started with a thought process as a chef. Uh, there's copious amounts of guinea grass that, that grows here. So the first idea for the vodka was, well, guinea grass is related to um, buffalo grass. And in Poland, they use buffalo grass to make vodka. Mm. So and my bright idea was to um, cut down all the guinea grass, have the government pay me for landscaping, and then I would turn all this guinea grass into vodka. But it turned out to be uh, much more difficult to do than, than what I thought. And then uh, a ghost chef of mine uh, said to me one day, Todd, why don't you just use breadfruit? And I work with breadfruit all the time. And a lot of people haven't heard of breadfruit, but it's a, um, it will come about now that it's a super a superfood, um, super nutritious. The tree is um, absolutely useful for so many things. And uh, when, when we chose this ingredient to try to make vodka, uh, it had 70% more starch than a potato, and it converted to sugars very easily. And I said, wow, we got something. And not only that, it's a truly unique flavor for, for island vodka. It's a completely new spirit, much like, um, say, a tequila from agave is, you know, its own thing. Island vodka is certainly its own thing from breadfruit. It's very, uh, very unique in flavor. Um, it's got character. It's got rhythm. And... Uh, goes along with an island vibe and it is just it's an amazing product but as I got into this um, work with the breadfruit I started learning 
a whole lot of other things. Um, breadfruit actually came from Tahiti. Uh, 1789 is when it got into the Caribbean, and that was by order of King George III. If you're familiar with the story of the mutiny on the bounty, that whole mutiny was about breadfruit. Mm. Um, King, King George III asked uh, botanist Sir Joseph Banks uh, and Captain Bly to go to Tahiti, where King Pompari I uh, gifted them with breadfruit. Now, breadfruit in Tahiti is also known as Ulu or the island potato, and the legend has it that if you, if you have a breadfruit tree, your family will never starve. So K- Captain Bly goes and he picks up the breadfruit, but his crew decides, you know, the women in Tahiti are exotic, they're gorgeous, we love it here, it's warm. England is uh, cold, and um, maybe the opportunities are not so robust. So they throw the breadfruit trees overboard, and Captain Bly as well, and they go back to Tahiti for the women. Mm. What they um, don't realize is that Captain Bly is a very accomplished navigator and ends up taking a ship-to-shore boat almost 4,000 nautical miles to the island of Timor, um, gets court-martialed for losing the bounty, uh, gets gets, uh, exonerated, and then given another boat named the Providence, and goes back to Tahiti, picks up 2,126 breadfruit trees, of those breadfruit trees, 678 of them survive. Uh, the first being planted in St. Thomas and St. Vincent, uh, where the people there rejected it as peasant food, and then to Jamaica, where it's hugely popular today. And that's that's how breadfruit kind of spread throughout the world. Hmm. So what makes what makes breadfruit such a a bounty in terms of sustainability, in terms of its usefulness? Okay. Um, well, when, when I, three days after I first successfully made the vodka, the island vodka from Breadfruit, I was super excited, didn't want to tell anybody, and I was doing a charity event with uh, Chef Sam Choi from Hawaii, and he asked me where could he get some breadfruit, and I said, the island's out, you know, and um, then I pointed to him, and I said, you know, I saw an act on American Airlines the last time I was on it that Hawaii was trying to cease the importation of rice and potatoes in lieu of using the breadfruit that grows there naturally. And he's like, I'm the guy that pays for that ad. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm the guy that pays for that ad. So, so I asked Sam to come and uh, sample something with me at brunch. So I poured him a shot of this breadfruit product and I poured me a shot. He drank it and he stared at the cup for a long time. And he's like, I know what exactly what this is. Do not tell anybody what you've done. Hmm. And I didn't know what he was about to do, but he called someone at University of Hawaii and Kansas State University and um, said, this is, introduced me, this is Chef Todd Manley, he's a friend of mine, he's a chef, and he's doing very important work with breadfruit. I want you to give him all of our research and all the time that he needs. And I didn't know what doors he'd opened then, but um, I made the calls because I'm that type of person. And they eventually started uh, teaching me and giving me the information that they've worked on for 25, 30 years, and what I found out was that breadfruit is probably one of the most amazing crops in the world. Um, it's farmed through agroforestry, which means it's not monocropping. Yeah. Um, you can plant other crops in between it, so you get more food per acre uh, with this method of farming, and there's no pesticides or chemicals used that different plants protect each other. On top of that, breadfruit produces more food per acre than any other food in the world, uh, and that's still true to this day. Then I found out that um, and another friend of mine, partner of mine, uh, 
created a solar dehydrator in which he makes breadfruit flour from. Now, breadfruit flour, because of the way it's dehydrated, um, retains all its nutrition. It's gluten-free. Um, you can make pasta from it, breads from it, you name it. And um, it's amazingly delicious stuff, and it's good for you. Mm. So that was that was one thing. But then the byproduct of this solar process of making breadfruit flour is an anaerobic process which makes natural gas. And this anaerobic process of natural gas then creates organic fertilizer. Mm. So it starts it with the sun um, and then goes back into the ground. And there's absolutely, it's completely sustainable and um, reduces carbon footprints uh, throughout, you know, throughout the, uh, throughout the world, really, where the breadfruit tree grows when you propagate it, and it's completely good for the environment as well. So it's a completely, it's a completely closed-loop system that, you know, there's really no waste involved in it at all. Absolutely not. In addition, um, I learned some other things. We're, we're using the male flower, not, not flower that you eat, but the male flower of the uh, breadfruit tree is 100 times more potent than DEET at repelling mosquitoes. Mm. Uh, it's 100% organic. You can rub it all over you. Um, completely harmless to the environment. Uh, and the mili U.S. military is actually looking into application to figure out how to harness that. Mm. Um, breadfruit trees also produce latex. You would tap them very much like you would a, a maple tree. And, and the latex trades at $1,000 a gallon as a commodity. And th that's yet another thing. Um, the bark is used medicinally throughout uh, Tahiti. And, you know, those properties have not been addressed at all, but there's certainly some um, ancient wisdom that goes along with that. Uh, so it, it's truly a remarkable agricultural crop. Hmm. One of the, uh, you were talking about the, uh, the flower, one of the uh, components of, um, of um, plant-based meats is uh, flour, or at least in a, in a few of them. Can you use that flour in plant-based meats to, as a substitute for regular flour? You, you absolutely can, so much so that... Um, does it have a different taste friend. in terms of flavor? I mean, does it, is it that same kind of uh, flavor difference that the vodka has? It, it, it does. It's very unique, um, and I would say it's meaty. You huh. know, even there's, um, there's substance to it. And so much so that there's a company called C.H. Robinson and Doc Tusi from the University of Hawaii uh, and his son have, have worked with C.H. Robinson. And, and part of the um, what I found out about Sam and Doc's work was that um, they've talked to this company, C.H. Robinson, which is a huge, huge uh, food supplier. You know, they supply like a Trader Joe's and Walmart and uh, McDonald's and Hardee's and Subway and pretty much everyone. And what they found was that if they can supply, I believe this number is correct, 250,000 pounds of breadfruit flour per, per week, C.H. Robinson will commit to uh, developing these, these vegetable-based proteins, burgers, uh, breads, and whatnot for, for mass consumption. Mm. The problem with that is that no one island can produce enough breadfruit to, uh, to meet a contract like that. However, their idea is to globally connect all these island communities to um, produce the breadfruit flour together, meet that demand, be able to get a contract like that, and at the same time, 
bring up the economies of all these island territories that um, like here on St. Croix, when the refinery closed, everyone was worried about work and jobs and the economy. The same thing is kind of going on in American Samoa where the tuna cannery industry is considering pulling out. So um, part of their work is to try to be preemptive uh, for the economy there uh, by bringing in breadfruit. In addition, the health benefits of breadfruit um, with its with its qualities, carotenoids, and uh, fiber content, it's, they're looking at it as a way to uh, reduce um, childhood diabetes, obesity, and, and other health problems through food, through the breadfruit. So when they, you know, when I learned all these things from them, you know, I was just um, mind blown. I felt very honored that they uh, included included me in that uh, process. And um, Doc Tusi would say it the right way. It's like, Todd, no one knows what breadfruit is, but everyone knows what vodka is, and your vodka is going to pave the way for everyone to know what breadfruit is. So um, that's how we got along, and that's kind of the role he, he put me in. Nice. How much how much food is produced in a given space by, let's say, uh, the breadfruit as opposed to, like a normal crop like wheat or you know whatever, something else that's commercially grown. Like, is there a difference in terms of density? Um, well, I can tell you by weight. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I don't really have the information to be, t- be able to tell you about, you know, corn or wheat or, or what it produces. But um, I do know that an acre of land will support 40 breadfruit trees. Each tree will produce 800 to 1,000 pounds of food per year. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, like with wheat and corn, you have to cut it all down and then start over. With the breadfruit trees, the trees just keep growing and keep producing. Um, so I think that, I think. I wish I, I wish I brought a calculator with me. That's okay. But um, that, I think that equates in, in simple math, um, forty thousand pounds of food per acre. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And it's matter of it's low maintenance, so it's not like you have to, like you said, do all the pesticides or the watering or you know other stuff that really are ecological drains in terms of agriculture. Exactly. Um, Dr. Craig Elevich wrote a book called The Production Guide for Breadfruit um, to be the official uh, expert and guide for people to bring uh, breadfruit trees into a, into a truly commercial agricultural crop in a responsible way. And um, with that, you know, with what he, what he has come up with, the production of not only the breadfruit, but the other crops in between the breadfruit that he would plant in between the trees with the agroforestry model allows a, a, a conventional farmer to have multiple crops growing on one piece of land. And the breadfruit trees maintenance themselves are, uh, you know, prune it once a year and then harvest the fruit. Um, and then the fruit grows back and up to three times a year. So it's, it's, uh, it's, a, remarkable, it's a remarkable way of farming. What um, what's prevented breadfruit from becoming more widespread before now? Like why why is it something that is just only re- like it needs actually to be researched? Like you said, uh, Sam Choi's been researching it for twenty five years. Why is it such a hidden commodity? You know, I, I think I think it's a hidden commodity because you know the the 
the the Western world doesn't really know about it because it doesn't it doesn't grow here. Like um, you know, if you go to Indonesia, for example, everybody eats breadfruit. Everybody knows about it, and um, there's an immense population there. The same in Tahiti and Hawaii, but um, you know, mainstream restaurants, uh, grocery stores, and and uh, experience levels of of customers in the Western world just have not had access or knowledge of it or been, been exposed to it the right way. And um, I, th- I think that's really that's really what's kept it from being in the limelight that it should be. And I think this whole push, the breadfruit movement, is kind of the goal, is to let everyone know what this does and, um, and get the support behind it and, and get people eating it and eating healthier. And, uh, and and actually responsibly farming the world um, through agroforestry. The the one of the partners that we have, I believe, and I, I can't say this is 100 percent true, but he told me by phone the other day that the UN is actually giving him a grant to reforest parts of the jungles in Jakarta with breadfruit trees, um, where people have harvested, you know, strip harvested the land for the timber and whatnot. And um, I guess globally, you can see a, a, a um, emissions in, in the ozone um, have a uh, an impact. It's because it's such a small area that you can really see the devastation of it. So they're looking to breadfruit because it is um, it is one of the two most resilient trees in the world. That being the first being the coconut tree, the second being the breadfruit tree. And um, so by using that in the jungles, they're also looking to reduce the carbon footprint or reverse a, a process that's been done by, by, strip, by stripping land for timber. It's resilient in what way? In terms of not needing a lot of water or kind of dealing with hostile it, conditions or what? It, it, it grows in hostile conditions um, and it survives uh, you know, through drought. Hmm. And the, um, and the number one thing it does, it's like, um, how can I explain it? Okay, we, we just went through a hurricane here, and, and a lot of our breadfruit trees here got devastated. So they got, you know, they get blown over, and you think they're gone. Well, what actually happens is the way these trees spring up is through their root systems. So the tree gets knocked over, but what happens is, you know, once the storm's gone and once things go back to normal, next thing you know, instead of one tree, you have ten now. Mm. That have sprung up to start growing, if that makes sense. It's like, um, yeah, uh, it's it's like a raspberry bush. Um, a couple of years ago, we had three raspberry bushes, and two years later, the entire yard is covered with them, and they spread basically that way. You, they just where there's one, ten of them spread up, and then there's ten more where the each of those ten were. I mean, it just multiplies, right? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. What, um, I would imagine that at a certain point there's going to be resistance by kind of agricultural uh, interests that, you know, this might threatened, be threatened by. I mean, whether it's, you know, the uh, chemical industries uh, or, you know, uh, wheat and grain or corns that, you know, no longer needed for flour as a replacement have you thought about uh, that or run into that kind of resistance or I, I, I have thought about it and I've thought about it in a couple of different ways I read 
one study um, that the FBDC, the Small Business Administration here, gave me on where the, the grain industry was planning on losing, uh, anticipating losing the, some market share with wheat and corn in lieu of uh, the gluten-free flours that are coming up. Um, so they're obviously think the big industry is obviously already thinking about it. Maybe not specifically breadfruit, but um, is the gluten-free thing is not going away. The um, I had two thoughts on the way they could react to it. One, the breadfruit trees won't grow where they typically grow wheat and corn and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So I think that should be less of a threat for them. Uh, because of that, and I think because of the positive spin it puts on things, I think they should be supportive. And I know they've put themselves maybe in a um, lesser of a lot, uh, uh, of a good light with, you know, um, what people think responsible farming is and things like that. But I think if they were to embrace the breadfruit tree, there may be even maybe more so an interest to actually get involved Instead of losing the market share to different people, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that these big farmers and, uh, and, and, and what, what would you call them, uh, millers, grains, you know, millers of grains that would um, somehow try to get involved with the uh, breadfruit once it takes traction. Is there a spoilage issue? Like how long once it's picked does it, does it um, kind of stay, uh, stay viable? Is it something that the milling needs to be done close to the farmed location or is it, you know, shippable over long distances? It is, it is shippable over some distances and, um, long distances not being say around the world, but, um, you know, certainly from say Indonesia to Hawaii, it, it would be shippable. But if we were to, if we were to think about it, breadfruit, um, once you harvest it from the tree, is a chef, and when I cook with it, I have about three days to use it before it continues to ferment. Um, and breadfruit is unique because when you first harvest it, it's very much like a potato or a starch, and as it ripens or as it ferments, it turns into more of a sweet um, fruit. So you can use it either for the milling or you could use it in desserts and as a sweetener as it ferments. Hmm. The, the, the great thing about the breadfruit um, you can certainly refrigerate it and add some shipping time to that through refrigeration, but then, again, you're using more energy. So part of the yeah. goal is to use as little energy and be as responsible as we can when processing it. And that's how they came up with the um, with turning it into flour because that, that process of taking it from the tree and turning it into flour, so far it's, it's, it's been shown the last seven years. Wow. Uh, be shelf-stable for, for, for seven years thus far as a flower. So, um, and they're still obviously researching that and to see how it goes, but there's absolutely nothing added to it other than that dehydration process through solar power. Is there, um, is there somebody commercially producing the, uh, the flower at this point? Is it for sale to people interested in buying that flower? There, there are some companies right now that sell it um, in small quantities, like um, like you could get it for your household. Um, one is out of Jamaica, probably the the best known and um, 
who I would recommend for someone looking for it is American Dream Builders uh, in American Samoa. Um, Sua Alex Jennings is the person that developed that solar dehydrator uh, for the breadfruit and then again to mill the breadfruit. So I know he just ramped up his production so that he could supply to people. Um, Trader Joe's being one of the places he's getting ready to go. But I believe he sells it in, <coughs> excuse me, two pound bags that people can order online. And, oh. uh, American Dream Builders and American Samoa. Okay, awesome. What about um, what about Mutiny Island Vodka? Um, are you guys producing vodka at this point in commercial quantities? Well, yes, we we are definitely a um, a craft product, and uh, we will always be a craft product. That's just kind of the the chef commitment and the and the distiller commitment. It'll never turn into, a, or we will not allow it to turn into a, you know, a. a big huge factory um we're certainly producing right now and we're producing maybe maybe 112 cases a week and we're trying to ramp that up um as we're building a new facility on the island of st croix and once we once we get that one open we'll be able to produce a million bottles of craft distilled breadfruit island vodka mutiny island vodka here on the island of st croix and i believe we'll be open here on october 15th and nice. at that time, that's when we'll start making our major push to, to get it out there. Is it available in the United States right now? Um, right now, we, we are available in the United States. Um, we're doing pretty much on-premise use. In other words, you know, like uh, restaurants and, and mm. bars and whatnot. Um, in Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina, and Washington, D.C., Oh, it's available at state stores in those states? And yes, in Virginia it's available at seventeen stores currently in the uh, in the Virginia Beach area. Okay. Um, and then and then also my my partner that's a distiller here in St. Croix that's helping me build this facility here. He has a a distillery, a craft distillery called Chesapeake Bay Distillery, and it's available there as well. Uh okay. Um yeah. Definitely, we tried looking for it and couldn't find it to uh, purchase anywhere where we were going to send my brother on a uh, mission through Virginia to try to find it. Um, oh, well. What, uh, so what are your expectations in terms of, you know, um, kind of expanding breadfruit, um, the reach of breadfruit? Like, is this something that's going to... Are you going to see a lot more farms using breadfruit in the tropics um, in the next couple of years? Is this is there a systematic program in place to encourage that? Um, yes. If you were to look up Dr. Diane Rangoni or uh, the Breadfruit Institute, they've been working on propagating um, this agroforestry method really throughout the world as, as a gift to humanity um, is, is the way they look at it. And a, and a gift from uh, Polynesia. The uh, right now, they just uh, they just sent 4,000 trees here to the island of Saint Croix, and a local farmer has distributed those to be planting in um, in different areas. and And he'll be recording uh, research and 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 data from as these trees are growing. Um, Jamaica, there's certainly 
a lot of breadfruit growing right now, Dominican Republic as well. I believe Dominica has gotten on board with the program, and they got devastated by a hurricane to start reforesting with breadfruit. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, in Venezuela, there's a very large breadfruit farm, and it's funny because they don't use the breadfruit. They're actually using the breadfruit to protect cocoa trees from pests. Mm. So they ship this cocoa from Venezuela to France and Italy to make chocolates, but then they allow the breadfruit to hit the ground and rot. So we're trying to, um, you know, education is a, is a very big thing to get this going. Um, Hawaii has planted multiple, multiple acres of, or hundreds of acres of breadfruit trees now, and I guess they're probably the forerunners of actually turning this into a, a commercial crop and through agroforestry and also as a, as a model to, for everyone else to learn from which has been their goal. So the other program that the uh, trees, that that the Breadford Institute runs is goes through the trees for life. So part of the proceeds of selling flour or the island vodka, we give back to uh, the Breadford Institute to get for the trees uh, for life. Now what this group does is say there's, um, Say there's starvation in Ethiopia and Ghana or places that are suitable for a, a breadfruit tree to grow. Then we go and we get we gift these plants to them, which essentially once they're all bearing and once they've reached a certain number, it, the hope is that it ends starvation. Um, if they produce, you know, if it becomes overabundant, then they have economy because they can sell it back to us. Um, and then places that get devastated with hurricanes, you know, this, this group... Uh, firmly believes in the legend of Ku, which is a Hawaiian legend. And, and Ku, uh, after a hurricane to sustain his family and his people, he turned himself into a breadfruit tree, as huh. the legend goes, wow. so that his family would never starve or have to suffer again. And um, and that that's how the breadfruit tree is revered uh, in the Pacific. And uh, it, it's, uh, I, I believe, one's people truly understand all, all of what it does and the possibilities, I think everybody's going to be growing them. Um, on the island of St. Croix, because they found out about this island vodka, everybody is wanting to plant uh, breadfruit trees now, and, and they're seeing it as a, a big opportunity. Uh, so we're, we're super excited about that. I look forward to uh, getting a taste of uh taste of the uh, vodka. I'm not a big drinker, but um, definitely I'm intrigued by the idea that you could have a the tropical flavor in a different uh, kind of liqueur. And uh, I think it would be interesting cooking with the uh, flour as well. I'm, you know, I, I love to cook and, you know, it would be amazing to see something like that more widely distributed that obviously is, is healthier for people going forward. If there's... Yeah. I will, I will get your address and I will get you some. <laughs> it's, it's a, awesome. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very exciting time right now too. October fifteenth is the Global Breadfruit Summit, um, and this is in Hawaii, and it lasts the fifteenth through the seventeenth at the Polynesian Cultural Center in Marriott, um, and this is kind of a big deal, and and this is this is why, and I think when once this summit happens everybody's going to know what breadfruit is. Hmm. Um, we, we got invited to the event through the Virgin Islands. The Commissioner of Agriculture here, Carlos Robles, is, um, he initiated bringing the Hawaiians here to teach at the University of the Virgin Islands to, and to do a startup program here in St. Croix with the breadfruit. 
Um, that's one connection. The other one is they're giving a an, an award for culinary innovation and contributions to uh, humanity, and that's um, for the Mutiny Island Vodka. So we're super excited about that. But at this uh, at this conference, this is on the road. We're calling it on the road to Dubai or Dotusi is because we've been invited to um, to unveil the uh, island vodka and breadfruit products at the 2020 World Product Expo in Dubai. Mm. Um, and at this event, one of the keynote speakers that's introducing us <clears throat> is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Everybody knows who he is. He's also a titled uh, Samoan. And when I say titled, meaning he still has ties to you know a legacy there in Samoa that uh, he is very responsible for and, and wants to see American Samoa and, and the Pacific Islanders all do well. So he's coming there to support that. He's got so much notoriety that everyone's going to know what breadfruit is after he's done. Also, uh, 21-star Michelin chef Elaine Ducasse is going to be there to present the award and also to bring you know to the world of chefs notoriety of breadfruit and, and how to use it. So we'll have a huge dinner of everything breadfruit, breadfruit wine, breadfruit beer, breadfruit island vodka, uh, and then breadfruit tacos and breadfruit stewed breadfruit and breadfruit fries and, and uh, breadfruit salad, and it just goes on and on. So it, it's going to be a super exciting event with people from all over the globe there. So I, I, I think this is um, I think this is going to be the University of Hawaii's big, big success in making everyone know what breadfruit is. So this is really the start of like a, of something really huge from a sustainability standpoint. I mean, it could really change yes. global poverty. Yes, and and that is um, that is that is really uh, that and the health benefits are their number one goals to get out there. And like I said, they've been working on this thirty years, so it's it's time for everyone to know what they've been doing. Awesome. If somebody wants to learn more about um, about your company or about um, the work that you do, how can they reach out to you? Uh, well, they can go to our website, mutinyislandvodka.com, um, and I highly recommend anybody and everybody to go to the Breadfruit Institute. That is an online, uh, that, is a, that is a website, the Breadfruit Institute, and you will find everything there that you would like to know about breadfruit. Awesome. Um, Todd, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, chat with us. And, uh, you know, I look forward to following up after, uh, after the conference in October and, and seeing where things progress. Jim, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I can't wait to let you know how things progress. Awesome. Thanks a lot, bud. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Thank, thank you.